So for us, we are going to be uh, in, um, in Psalm 98 as we continue uh, the series. This is the last week of the series, uh, which we entitled, How Then Shall We Live? And uh, the last uh, iteration of that is, What Is It to Enjoy God? And uh, remember, last week we looked at what it was to glorify God out of that question that the chief end of man or the chief purpose of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we looked at what it was to glorify God last week. This week, what does it look like that we would enjoy Him? And we're going to do that out of Psalm 98. And, uh, and so I welcome you to stand with me. Just as the psalmist, as we looked at Psalm 96 last week, Psalm 98 is going to frame this understanding of enjoying God and delighting in Him. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would be in our midst. God, that you would take your word, uh, very similar to the passage we looked at last week in Psalm 96. God, challenge us in our thinking Father, I pray that we would be people that really find our joy in you. God, that we would uh, be uh, excited about being in your presence. God, that we would, uh, we would not just show up on Sunday in that regard, but Father, every day that we live, would we be people that enjoy you, that, t- that delight in who you are, uh, delight in you at work in us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would... Uh, sink that deep into our hearts this morning, and I pray that we wouldn't leave the same. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want you to think of five or ten things uh, that that you really enjoy. Now, this isn't like a top ten list, so you're not doing like priorities. Just things, what things come to your mind that you really enjoy? Like, you know, maybe you're having trouble. Like, what foods do you really enjoy? enjoy? Or what about like a game or a hobby or a sport? Do you really enjoy? What about certain people? Uh, Certain people you really enjoy. A good book, a favorite movie, favorite places to visit. Think of five or ten things you just really enjoy. And as you thought about those things, what feeling kind of comes over you as you think of things that you really enjoy 
in this world. Probably some version of tranquility or calming. Uh, or, you know, you may have smiled outwardly or like inwardly you smiled, but you didn't, you know, just, you know, that, that nice internal smiling feeling. Uh, but when we, when we enjoy something, uh, it, it's, you know, it has that kind of effect on us. It, it kind of changes how we feel. It changes how we see things. And actually, one article back in 2017 was, was actually reflecting that and tracking different uh, neurological studies that the effect of actually the physical act of smiling and what effect that had on your neurological behavior. That smiling actually makes you feel good. So even if you're feeling, you're not feeling good at the moment, a 2009 MRI study demonstrated that when you actually just smile, the brain's uh, circuitry actually produces a happiness uh, just by the act of smiling. So go ahead. Uh, And uh, man, this is a great sermon. Uh, You know, and so literally, if you're down, the actual act of smiling produces some kind of, uh, your brain produces like a feel-good hormone. Or, you know, that smiling also is a predictor of your lifespan, okay? Uh, There was a 2010 study done as they looked at baseball cards from the last 60 or 70 years. And get this, they tracked the guys that were smiling against the guys that weren't. And the guys that were smiling lived, on average, seven full years longer. All right, that sounds weird, right? So then UC Berkeley picked it up, and they actually were looking at old yearbooks, and they tracked the the width of a student's smile. Not just, like, were they smiling, but how wide it was. So if you have a big smile, this is for you, okay? And uh, it turned out to be an accurate predictor of how high their, their, their happiness would be, how inspiring they would be to others, uh, how, fulfilling, how fulfilling their marriages would end up based on how wide their smile was. And in every regard, the people that smiled the most like blew everybody else out of the water. As I read that, I'm like, that can't certainly be true. It is study after study after study. Yet in terms of how much we smile, here are the numbers. These are kind of scary. Uh, that one in eight of us uh, smile fewer than five times a day. That was hard to believe. Uh, Only a third of us smile more than 20 times a day. And then there's one group of people that absolutely dominate smiling, and that is children. 400 times a day children smile. Man, there's all sorts of implications we can't go into but think about all of that, you know, that, you know, assuming that enjoyment translates into the physical act of smiling, uh, then enjoyment itself leads to a longer life. Enjoyment itself leads to those many benefits of that. But also, we can assume that as children, we enjoyed things far more easily, 400 smiles a day, than we do as adults. Only a third of us smiling 20 times or more a day. Isn't that interesting? And then God turns around and says, glorify me. You know, that the chief purpose is to glorify him and, and also enjoy him, yet we've learned how not to enjoy life. Given the findings of that study, I wonder if we better understand what it is to glorify God, or at least conceptually, 
Like, I get that. I, I can, on what it is to glorify God more so than it is to understand what it is to enjoy God. And Todd said earlier, it almost sounds weird to talk about enjoying God. And I wonder, is that one of the greatest tricks of the enemy? Uh, because there's a unique danger that God's people face, and it's the idea of serving God rather than enjoying him and loving him. Oswald Chambers, uh, in his devotional, he said, Beware of anything that compares with loyalty to Jesus Christ. That the greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. What, what he's saying, it's much easier to be a Martha than a Mary, right? It's easier to serve, and you know what? I am, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and yet our heart can grow calloused to the joy of the Lord. And if you haven't experienced that, praise God, uh, because I wonder if anybody that walks with the Lord long enough might fall into this category. Isaac Guinness, in his book, The Call, he says it a different way, same thing. He says, we are not primarily called to do something or to go somewhere. We are called to someone, with a capital S, meaning Jesus. We are not called first to special work, but to God. And it's this concept that, that God's people tend to really be uh, great at serving, but oftentimes miss the real joy of what it is to know the living God. Is that you this morning? Well, to borrow on much of John Piper's writing, we glorify God by enjoying him. So this notion, yes, is borrowed from Piper. You could read his book, Desiring God, or if you're more my style, the little booklet, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. Uh, same exact premise, just shorter. Uh, and... Uh, I highly recommend that to you. If you're one that says, you know what, I'm good at the duty part, but I struggle with the real joy, the real, like, do I emotionally connect to God? Because to enjoy something is to delight in it, right? It's kind of like grandparents with their grandkids, right? Grandparents get a bad rap, okay? Because what they're doing is when they pull their phone out or their pictures out or whatever, and they could show you videos and photos of their grandkids, and they could show you for hours, right? What they're doing is they enjoy their, their grandkids to such an extent that they want to rejoice over them. They want to celebrate them, and they want you to join in with them. Showing photos, in a sense, as we read earlier, is the grandparent version of a joyful noise, right? Look at these kids. They are beautiful. They are amazing. I love them. I can't get enough of them, and you ought to uh, celebrate them with me, because that idea helps us understand what it is to enjoy something and what it is to delight in something. It's, it's that it, it creates that smile, that sense of, uh, that sense of joy that you want to share it. You want to celebrate in it. You want other people to join you in it, because to glorify God is for us to enjoy him. And actually, it's not just two separate things. Piper would submit, and I would agree with him, that we glorify God most by enjoying him. When we say, wow, we enjoy God to such an extent, we celebrate and rejoice in him, people say, huh, what's that all about? Because it's the things that we celebrate and delight in 
are the things that we love. Kind of a sub-point under that idea of glorifying God by enjoying Him is this sense that delighting in God extends far beyond knowledge about God. So as we read Psalm 98, what were the things that we know about God? Now, I'm not going to have them up there, so if you have your, have your Bible open or on an app or whatever, we're going to kind of comb through it. In, in Psalm 98, what do we know about God? Well, he's done marvelous things. He has worked salvation. He's made known that salvation. He's revealed his righteousness. He re- remembers his steadfast love. He is faithful to his people. He is the king, he is the Lord, and he is the judge who will judge the earth, okay? You could know all of those things about God from a knowledge standpoint. You could say that you would see those things in the biblical text, but that's not deep enough. Knowing those things, merely seeing those things written on the pages is not enough for what God calls us to Jonathan Edwards would say it this way, that God is, de- is glorified not only by his glory being seen, we're reading it in Psalm 98, but by its being rejoiced in. Think about that. It's not just that we know it, not just that we know things about God, but God is glorified by us rejoicing in those things. When, tho- when those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. Does that make sense? Noticing something, that's helpful, but rejoicing in what you notice is like an entirely different thing, right? God is glorified when he becomes our delight. You know, so notice that it is not simply recounting knowledge points about God and his work. It's the overflow of our heart. And you might be one like me that you kind of come in to worship and you're thinking about everything. Uh, You're kind of, well, I I might be thinking about other things than everybody else, like how's this going and all that stuff. But, you know, you're thinking about the person next to you. You're thinking about the, the, you know, the friend that you haven't seen in a while. You're thinking about the words. You're thinking about the band. Are they playing what? You're thinking about all sorts of other things other than God himself. That's so easily, it's so easy to do it. But when we worship Would God be our delight? Would the overflow of our heart be us delighting in the Lord? And so, uh, you know, it could be like beholding God and his excellence or relishing in God's breathtaking beauty that we glorify God by enjoying him. uh, And that starts to take form uh, beyond knowledge itself. But then uh, kind of another uh, uh, kind of sub idea of that is that delight overflows into praise. And that's what this seems to be the overflow of this psalm. Psalm 98 is that we delight in God himself and not merely his work, but then then that erupts into praise. Look at look at verse 1. Verse 1 is sing to the Lord. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord. Six, joyful noise before the King, the Lord. That it is joy in the Lord that we're here. It is not a worship experience. Now, we are experiencing worship, but we often put like the emphasis on how well was that experience? 
if that's our basis of assessing this time together, we've kind of missed the priority. This is about God. We get to come into his presence together and gloriously thunder his praise. How that's done is important, but it isn't primary. This is about God and about uh, enjoying him and having his glory wash over us. It is far less about how well that is executed because God is, is on display. And it's joy that is there. Piper would say that it is joy is the clearest witness to the worth of what we enjoy. It, it's the deepest reverberation in the heart of man of the value of God's glory. So if joy is not a part of your worship, either when we gather corporately or throughout the week. And I'm not just saying like happy, happy, joy, joy, but joy towards the living God. If that is not part of your worship, something is short-circuited. If that's not part of my worship, something is deeply awry because that declares what we enjoy. Because we celebrate what we value. It's the, grand, it's the grandparent. It's someone who loves something. Verse 1, sing to the Lord. Why? For he has done marvelous things. That idea for is important because uh, sing to the Lord for is basically because he has. It's a, it's a marker of emphasis or a marker of uh, causation. You know, sing to the Lord because he has worked salvation because he has done marvelous things. Sing to the Lord because he's revealed his righteousness, not just to us, but among the nations. Uh, sing to the Lord because he's remembered his love and his faithfulness. Because of all of uh, who God is and what he's done, what do we do? We sing. Singing, just an expression of the enjoyment in our hearts. Because of what God has done, we celebrate. Because of God, uh, because we delight in him, we burst into praise spontaneously and overflow. It ought to be something that is not just uh, mundane and dutiful. C.S. Lewis says this, that praise not merely expresses, though it does, but it completes the enjoyment. So it's one thing to enjoy something. It's another to tell somebody about it, Right? You know, you have a good meal, and you're like, you won't believe, you know, you won't believe this steak that I just had. There's something about expressing it that is not just the act of enjoying something. It is actually completing that enjoyment, like Lewis would say. And that's why we talk about in verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Break forth into joyous songs. Sing praises. Verse 5, sing praises with the lyre. That's a stringed instrument, kind of like a harp. Uh, I did a violin. That's not what I meant. Um, it's kind of like a harp, a lyre, and a melody, trumpets, and a horn, a joyful noise. Basically, let's let every instrument just let rip God's praise and his glory. A joyful noise before the king. That idea of a joyful noise um, in Hebrew is one word. Uh, we don't have like an English equivalent. Uh, it's to raise a shout. It's to give a blast, to make a loud public noise, okay? But it's a, it's a glorious one, you know? So, you know, how do fans react? Uh, 
at a football game? How do fans react when the Gamecocks score a touchdown? You know, other than surprise. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> couldn't resist. Anyway, they, uh, they yell, uh, they cheer, they shout at the top of their lungs, right? Um, and it's, it's just a, a response. It, it, the shout doesn't originate with the fan itself. It's a response. In, in the same way that a shout and our joyful noises of worship are a response, it's the touchdown elicits the cheer. God's glory elicits our praise. It's reactive to the glory of God, his marvelous things, his salvation, his righteousness, and his love. It's reactive, and all of that leads us to make a joyful noise. But the only way that joy shows up is that we really love what we are celebrating. And so we've all been there where we sing like robots, and Presbyterians are really good at it, right? Um, and, or you kind of come in and you just, you're singing words and you have no idea what you're singing. Or you even know what you're singing, but they haven't touched your heart. We've all sat in worship and done that. We've all read the Bible and had that experience. That is just not connecting. But it's joy that says something about our view of the object of our worship. So if joy is lacking, again, something is deeply missing. That God is, worship, is not worshipped where he's not treasured and enjoyed. Not to worship God is to dishonor him. To say to him that someone else satis or something else satisfies you more is the opposite of worship. It's sacrilege. And so if your work is like the thing that really satisfies you in life, and you find yourself bored in worship, that's not just a problem, that's the height of dishonoring to the Lord. If relationships or friendships or your marriage or your, your kids or something else is higher uh, than your enjoyment of God, do you see how, how that's just really upside down? So, it's, so the presence of joy is a really helpful diagnostic. What do you cherish? What do you celebrate? What just causes you to sing, either out loud or in your heart? Or maybe the absence of joy is really helpful, you know, and helpful in, in a revealing sense. Do you lack joy in the presence of the Lord? Do you lack joy in your worship? Do you lack joy as you think about prayer? Do you lack joy as you think about reading the Bible? Because there is a very unique danger for God's people. And that unique danger is that we become so familiar with the things of God that we lose our, as Paul Tripp would call, we lose our awe of God. We lose our joy in the Lord. And have you lost your awe of God? Well, what did we say last week was one of the greatest prayers in the Bible is Exodus 33, verse 18, where Moses prays and asks God, please show me your glory. And so if you find yourself bored, if you find yourself lacking joy, 
uh, not having uh, any sense where it's really connecting with your heart, the first place you begin is not to try to build that up. The first place you begin is to confess that before the Lord. Confess your boredom before the living, holy, righteous, and awe-inspiring God. God, I don't know how I'm here, but I'm here, and I'm here fully, and I confess that before you. Ask that God would give you, God would give you a display of his glory that would enliven your heart, that would bring out an emotional joy in his presence, okay? We, enjoy, we glorify God by enjoying him. Then we get to this, is that God's enjoyment of us fuels our enjoyment of him. I see somebody shaking their head because I was just talking to him this past week. And I'm going to quote Perry Bowers. Uh, you will never enjoy God until you know how much he enjoys you. Because it's not about us trumping up excitement. It's about God being magnificent and then God loving us when he should show us his wrath. That ought to give a little spring in your step, right? Because there's something about the salvation that our God brings that ought to restore the joy of our heart. The psalmist says it in verse 3. He, that's God, has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. That's the, the, his people. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The verse right before that, talk about his right, right hand and his holy arm working salvation for him. That when we understand that God loves us to such an extent, as Zephaniah, would, Zephaniah 3 would say, that he cherish, cherishes us, and that he rejoices over us with singing. That ought to elicit marvel and real enjoyment. It's that idea that the living God loves us. And what's the extent that that steadfast love and his faithfulness, what's the extent of his love? Is it just, you know, God says he loves us, therefore, okay, that's good and that's neat. No, what displayed the love of God of how much he loved you? If you are his child, he loved you to the extent of sending Jesus to the cross and turning his back on him because of your sin. Sending him to the grave, uh, having him incur all of the wrath of God for your sin. That's how seriously steadfast love, that's, what, that's how seriously it looks. That's how much God loves you and me. And so God enjoys us to that extent that he would pour out his wrath on his own son so that we might be saved. At times, salvation is one of those really out there concepts, but it is beautiful when we start to think through, and from the call to worship of what Todd read earlier, verse 11, Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God delights in us, and that fuels our delight in him. And then we'll close with this. And this is a straight-up quote from Piper in Desiring God, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It becomes really, basically, that 
you know, what can you do to bring glory to God or the most glory? Probably typically last week, you're like, all right, how do I serve the Lord? You went out and probably thought through some ways to serve. Uh, In a sense, the greatest thing that you could do to glorify God is to delight in him, is to enjoy him and need nothing else in this life to be satisfied. That puts God on the throne of your life and of this world, and you say, you know what? I don't need this world because I have my maker. I have my Lord. I have my king. That God is most glorified when we go there. And so Psalm 98 says it, let the sea roar and all that fills it. So creation, doing its creation thing, actually gives God glory. The world and all those who dwell in it. So everybody that lives in the world giving glory to God. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Again, that's where we get the hymn, Joy to the World. Okay, He comes to judge, uh, and he will uh, he, he will come and judge this world, but there's this sense where the hills and the sea are singing with joy before the Lord, the, the world and those who dwell in it. We are designed for what? We are designed to find our joy in the Lord, yet we seek it in every other place. You know, we know the physical world can't satisfy us and give us the life we long for. We know that because we go after stuff and it never satisfies. But we keep trying. We're going to hit that one thing that's going to do it, right? Success, money, pleasure, relationships. And, you know, this world was designed, though, it was designed so good that it would point us to the one who can give us the delights of our heart. So the world's not the problem. It's how we use the world and the things here. So how does this type of response become our response to God? That joyful noise of worship is that our hearts would become centered, uh, the affections of our hearts would become centered on him. So Sam Storms, in writing on this concept, he said, the key to living a successful, sin-killing life doesn't come primarily from trying harder, but from enjoying more. Enjoyment empowers effort. Pleasure in God is the power for purity. What he's saying is that if you're trying to stop sinning, you need to enjoy God more. And then that will drive out the desire for what our heart is chasing after. Or you could say, you know what, I'm going to just try to stop it. The pleasure isn't good enough. There's not something there to drive out sin. The enjoyment of God, the enjoyment of something even more beautiful is the only way to do it. Because enjoyment drives sin out and it alters our worship. That God alone becomes the central theme of our worship, both here on Sunday morning and then throughout the week as we are before him. Because without the idea of joy and delight in God, without that, our worship becomes this really odd mix of what we're supposed to do, like supposed to's and ought to's, 
right? We just come in and, we're, well, this is what I'm supposed to do on Sunday morning, right? I ought to be doing this. And, and it's this version of duty without joy, and that's a really dangerous place for God's people because that's not worship, is it? Piper would say this, and this is really hits home because it brings the idea of enjoyment and delight and ties it to worship. If the essence of worship is satisfaction in God, then worship can't be a means to anything else. So we're all going to be filleted by this next list, by the way. So just, (laughs) you know, it's just helpful, though. All the things we use worship for that make worship not worship. You know, so often we worship to attract crowds. Or we worship to heal human hearts. Not a bad thing. Or we worship to improve church morale. We worship to give talented musicians an opportunity to fulfill their calling. We worship to teach our children the way of righteousness. Again, a good thing. We worship to help marriages stay together. We worship to evangelize the lost among us. We worship to give our churches a family feeling. The degree that we quote-unquote worship for these reasons, it ceases to be authentic worship. Think about that. And every parent on the face of the planet has done it. We're here so our kids can learn how to love Jesus. Worship finds its end in our children loving the Lord. Guess what we just did? We took the worship of God. Man, that's really small. That didn't, um, uh, <laughs> that didn't split up the way I thought it did. Uh, and we, we take the worship of God and we terminate it on some other result. And any other result that we see as worship kind of being the end of, we've just misplaced the glory of God with that result. Obviously, we want to teach our kids to worship. I'm not saying that. That's bad. Of course, we want us to come together. But if those are primary and the worship of God and the enjoyment of glory and his glory is not front and center, we just inverted the order. And our kids' health and well-being or the well-being of our church just became primary over the glory of God. Chew on that one for a little bit. Uh, And um, it's basically that God alone is worthy of our joy, our zeal, our love, our devotion, our delight, our fear, our joy. uh, I repeated joy twice. Our passion, our gratitude, our hope. Um, Obviously, I typed Sam Storm's quote wrong. Uh, But notice where your heart is drawn. Notice, what are you most zealous about? Where do you spend most of your free time? What do you think about most effortlessly? Where is your heart's delight? For what are you most passionate? In what is your hope in the fu- for the future grounded? And what are you most thankful for? for? Helpful questions, trying to figure out where is our heart's delight, because the purpose of life for God's people, for actually everybody on this planet, yet God has revealed it to his people, the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Does that define your life and mine? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would uh, take your word, God, use it 
multiply it in our hearts. I pray that we would be people that just overflow in joyful praise. God, that we would find joy in who you are and we would be so enamored with your glory and uh, truly, God, that we would enjoy you. God, sometimes that feels so abstract, but what does it look like for us to be thankful, to us to be zealous about who you are, for us to be passionate uh, and, and just delighting in you and your character? Uh, Father, I pray that you would bring that about, even now as we sing this last song. God, help us to sing to you and not to anyone or anything else. Father, even now, give us that practical way that we would enjoy you as we close our time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.